Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story, I'm doing a Locals Live at 5 on Friday, 5 o'clock my time, 8 o'clock your time. And I think I figured it out so that you can watch it even if you're not a paying member. So you can just be a free member at properport.locals.com. Don't think you can join the chat. And I accidentally started a live chat last night and Stella was there. Kat Duckness was there. It was oh, really? super fun. And yeah. impromptu? Yeah, I didn't mean to. I was like, what's this button? And then all of a live. sudden I was like, hi. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is great. So fat I wonder if that's what happened with Jeffrey Tubin. You think? But why was he directing his camera at his area? That's right. Like, he was definitely showing off his area because he's a... Yeah, I did not take my clothes off, <laughs> throw the camera on my area, and then say, gee, what's this button for? Yeah, I see. So anyway, but hey, you never know what's going to happen. So you might as well tune in to properreports.locals.com on Friday at 5, my time, 8, Binkley's time, and it's up to you to figure out what that means. Um, okay, so lead us off. Lead us off. It was, it's been my turn to talk about Ukraine for so long. I think it's your turn. Well, we're being told that the conflict, the tensions are rising over in Ukraine with them in Russia and us also, and that war could break out, and we need to be very, very afraid. But the reality is that war has already broken out. It's been going on for a while. The propaganda war about Ukraine and the United States, that battle is already waging, and it's a battle for narratives. It's narrative warfare, and this is illustrated today in the reporting from our mainstream media, which focuses on what it calls, and this is a quote from CNN, Russia's media mirror image propaganda. Russia's media mean? mirror image propaganda. They're saying that the Russian media is reporting a mirror image narrative to what they're reporting and to what they say the reality is. And this is an extraordinary article from CNN that is titled, The West Fears Russia is About to Attack Ukraine, But That's Not the Way Russians Are Seeing It on TV. And then I, they, My head ahead. is exploding. My head is absolutely exploding. If you read this article, your head will explode over and over <laughs> and over again because this is just the perfect example of a propagandist describing exactly to a T what they're doing than accusing somebody else of doing. Now, that doesn't mean that the other side isn't doing it as well, but th you have to just be stupid or brain dead to not see what CNN is doing. And it's not just CNN. This is a coordinated messaging campaign. There's other outlets reporting similar stories. But here's what they say about what Russia is reporting. They say that Russia's alternative media landscape... They throw that word in there, alternative media, to kind of bring up associations to alternative media in the United States is presenting a mirror reality of what's going on with Ukraine. Ukraine, a reality where NATO forces are carrying out a plan that's been in the works for years and circle Russia, topple President Vladimir Putin, and seize control of Russia's energy resources. Oh my gosh, that sounds kind of closer to the truth than anything I've ever read on CNN about exactly. this topic. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then they go on to say that, this is the best part in my opinion, they go on to say that Russian TV repeats this message in every newscast and talk show 
which is exactly what they do. Of course. They repeat it in all of these messaging, and they repeat that Ukraine is a failed state entirely controlled by the puppet master of the United States, and that rumors of false flag operations run rampant in Russian media, and that it's not Russian forces poised for attack, it's NATO's. Didn't Jin Psaki just talk about false flags? Yes, and I have so much to respond. Go ahead and respond. Okay, so the the yes for the first the first right out, out of the gate, she said there would be a false flag that Russia would create a false flag, and it's a false false flag. So we're gonna do it, but we're gonna say that Russia did it and blamed us. And I think it's gonna be the cyber attack. I think that's where it's gonna like merge, because they're talking about cyber attack. Yeah, this. This uh, Croatia, for example, said, this is all the United States' fault. We're a member of NATO and we're not going to participate. So Russia's story is being echoed by a member of NATO, by the way. And and so the Ukraine narrative, you're like, yes, they may be doing it too. But the Ukraine narrative, which I've done research on, we talked to Oliver Boyd Barrett and we are going to talk to him again about Ukraine specifically because... He did the research, too, and found that the Western mainstream media narrative was totally inaccurate. But but the one thing that really made me crazy was that I heard a mirror image of the truth today or of the original story today. Remember the other day when I said a member of the Ukraine Authority, whatever, that I didn't remember the name of, and I said, but... But there are factions there, so he could easily be a parliamentarian or whatever and not be on the side of the president, had said that he was annoyed that the U.S. was fomenting panic in Ukraine and causing a run on the banks and stuff. Do you remember I said that? Yeah. Okay. Today on Fox News, they had a guy who does heavy Russian kind of accent, Ukrainian accent, who does a lot of business with the U.S., which, first of all, automatically, ever since we did that Tripoli show with the the Amman brothers or whatever they were called, uh, and I did a lot of research into the kind of inner workings of the propaganda of, like, Voice of America or whatever, you'll see, like, this doctor on the ground was complaining about his patients, and then later you find out that doctor happens to be the first Surgeon General in the post-Iraq, <laughs> you know, Post, post-coup, post-invasion government led by us. Like, he's obviously an inside job. But so whenever I hear, maybe it wasn't certain something like that, but whenever I hear somebody saying, uh, somebody who's like speaks perfect English or does business with America or whatever, I think that guy's obviously just saying what is in his interest. And what he was saying was that they're annoyed and oh, Zelensky, Zelensky, the president came out and said he was annoyed that Russia was fomenting panic in Ukraine. So I guess that senior official in Ukraine or prominent person in Ukraine said that and Zelensky had to drown it out with the mirror image of that. Yeah. I mean, well, it's mind boggling to wrap your head of around brain matter. Stuck to the wall behind my station right now. Absolutely. My head actually exploded. Well, let me see if I can make that explosion extend a little bit No, further. stop! Because this article also went on to say that, this particular CNN article, that Russian media does not want Russians to think things through. 
They are trying to raise the blood pressure of their viewers and make them afraid. <laughs> that sounds like they, pretty familiar from this our is on media. CNN. This, this is, is on a CNN article. There's articles in the Wall Street Journal and New York Times that have similar themes. And how really? are the Russian people responding? Yes, this is a coordinated messaging campaign to target the Russian propaganda messaging campaign. It's a war of propaganda. That's what's happening right wow. now. Like and it's a war of propaganda about propaganda. Yes, it's so by meta. Propaganda, of for and by propaganda. And that's that's the state of the world <laughs> right now. So how are the Russian people responding to this? Well, according to some polls that were done, the Russian people are tired of the Ukraine subject. They're mentally fatigued. They feel like it's being imposed, this subject is being imposed upon them by major media outlets, which I would say, exactly. This isn't Russia versus Ukraine. This isn't Russia versus United States or yeah. whatever combination. This is the elites that control the media and the communication channels versus the people. Wow. Well, I think that the German people are the main target of the propaganda. If you oh, really? listen to the reports, yeah, at the yeah. end, they keep saying, like, Germany's not doing enough. It's all about getting Germany to pull back from doubling down on their already uh, unparalleled use of Russian gas. And the World War One and World War II were both about separating Germany and Russia. So I'm not taking it lightly, but I feel strongly that this is all this giant propaganda campaign to panic German people. Because we don't see there, we don't see how this propaganda is absorbed or treated in other countries. Right. So sometimes we get propaganda that isn't really meant for us. So it's not like crystal clear. This is obviously meant for us. But I think that the actions that we're taking over there are meant not just propaganda, but the deeds are meant to scare Germans. Yeah. They also talk about how the Russian media will repeat things that Tucker Carlson says. So if you say something no. similar to Tucker Carlson, then you're no. obviously spreading Russian propaganda. Oh, my gosh. There are so many. This is just like the spiral of propaganda. I don't know. We have to come up with a name for it because it is a propaganda disappearing up its own asshole. It's a self-swallowing propaganda. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because Tucker Carlson is a CIA agent, in my opinion. Yeah. It's just... That's, okay. Yeah, it's Anyway, I have, a, I have a little taint agent story on XR. Okay, well, this is quite boring compared to that, but it must be done. It's about the Supreme Court. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer has announced, I don't know if he made a formal statement yet, but he is going to retire. And Biden had made a promise that the most, the greatest grasp of the law, the biggest justice is going to be a black woman. And he's, no, he just arbitrarily promised to put a the first black woman on the Supreme Court. And That's what I just, he did about his president VP selection. He said that too. Before yeah, he, <laughs> I just, you know, it's insulting. But there are plenty of black women who are completely, uh, certainly on a par with the people who are on the Supreme Court right now. So it's fine. It's not like he was going to go look for Judge Bork anyway. <laughs> what if he offers it to Stacey Abrams and she turns it down that will raise her her star power if she were to do that. That's a good one. Uh, I don't think there's any way they put her on the court because she is just an activist. Oh, yeah, I agree. But her sister is a judge. Good point. Yeah. And Clint, I was just talking to our friend Clint from During the Break podcast, and he said he thinks that this is a possibility that... 
Biden puts Kamala Harris on the Supreme Court, like takes her out of her current role, slides somebody else in like Hillary, booty gig. I was thinking Stacey Abrams and then gets and then passes the reins to that person when the time comes. That's possible. But there are actual there are actual um, candidates who've been floated around for a while. There's three. I just want to bring your attention to so you know who's who while these names pop up. Katanji Brown Jackson. She's 51. She already went through the Senate confirmation process last year when she was elevated from the federal district court in the District of Columbia to the powerful U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Wow, that is powerful. Uh, She is a Harvard undergrad, Harvard Law. She has two daughters related by marriage to Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan, the the fake libertarian who used who was Mitt Romney's running mate, and her husband. That's through her husband Patrick Jackson, who's a surgeon and the twin brother of Mr. Ryan's brother-in-law. And uh, Mr. Ryan testified for her support in her 2012 confirmation hearing to be district judge. Okay, that's Katanji Brown Jackson. Clearly, uh, deeply connected. Then there's Michelle Childs, who is the poor man's candidate. She seems to be the blue collar choice. She uh, she's looks like 55, maybe. She is a district judge in the district uh, of South Carolina. Since 2010, she was a circuit court judge based in Columbia, South Carolina. She's considered an expert in labor and employment law. And she is currently a nominee to be a circuit judge of the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. Now, here's the one that's interesting to me because she's from uh, our neighborhood, this chick. And she's the one with the credentials. She's the smart one. She's if if you were going to actually just go by traditional, she's young. Um, she's maybe 47, although she looks like a real baby. Uh, her name is Leandra Reed Kruger. She was, she's an associate justice of the Supreme Court of California, and she is a former Obama administration official. She's been considered, uh, let's see, she is being considered as the as a Supreme Court candidate. But listen to her. This is a paragraph from Wiki. She was born in L.A., grew up in South Pasadena. Her mother immigrated to the United States from Jamaica, and her late father was an American Jew. I don't know. That's a weird way. I think that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, as opposed to Israeli Jew or Jewish American. She attended polytechnic school, a private day school in Pasadena. She then earned a B.A. magna cum laude, which is not summa. Summa is the highest. From Harvard, summa is the summit. From Harvard. Uh, where she wrote for the Harvard Crimson was Phi Beta Kappa. I didn't even know they... Oh, Phi Beta Kappa is an honor society. She graduated with a JD from Yale Law School. Yale Law School is the hardest law school to get into. It's where where your best deep staters come from. Stacey Abrams went there. But it's just, it's very hard. They do kind of churn out the the very high thinking lawyers as well. Um, I think... Both the head of Oath Keepers and DeSantis both went to Yale Law School, if I remember correctly. She was the editor of the prestigious Yale Law Journal. That is prestigious. And she interned at the U.S. Attorney's Office in L.A. And in 2000, she was a summer associate at Munger Tolls. I think she might have clerked at the Supreme Court. Maybe I didn't write that down. Anyway, uh, she's the smart one, in my opinion. And uh, if I were to 
pick one and I were a liberal, <laughs> I would want her. But I think Leslie Abrams Gardner is a contender as well. That is a good that would not surprise me if that was good, sister, right? I yeah. I thought of that. It was, I was yeah, like, that, that's, that's definitely one. Stacy's not gonna do it. She already said she doesn't like to work. Right. And Obama appointed her sister. Yeah, yeah. Now she's I mean, she's just uh she's just a district court judge, but so what? Doesn't yeah. Matter. Okay, well, the World Economic Forum having Davos just completed the virtual Davos. They published an article in their agenda series today, which kind of relates to the propaganda story earlier a little bit, where they discuss wanting to use cultural products to change the world. Cultural products, cultural products, what they mean are film, television, movies, TV shows, stuff like that. So we already know that they already use those products to change the world, but they want to take it up a notch. The article is titled... We shouldn't underestimate the power of cultural products. They can change the world. And the premise of the article is that these cultural products, they have a large influence over everything, over people's daily lives, over the headlines we see in the news, over global trends. And with that being the case, the people who create these products have immense power to change society. And therefore, these people should be permanent fixtures at the World Economic Forum, at the G20 and at other international forums right alongside the CEOs of the largest companies in the world. Like Angelina Jolie and George Clooney, yes. members of the CFR. Right. So, yes, they People already... laugh at me for being like, they're deep state agents, like, oh, they're idiots. It's like, well, <laughs> whatever. No, well, they want to take it up a notch. They want them to be at these meetings, but not just as entertainers, not just as people who are, you know, a recognizable face that can influence. They want them to use their knowledge and experience in narrative, to use their knowledge and experience doing documentaries, making TV. They, they say that these people have expert knowledge on narrative, on subjects they've researched for films, and combine that with their wide influence that they can be used to further change the world. Go ahead. It's like the common core of movies, like, you know, how the Common Core, they gutted all the content, supposedly. They're just like, oh, but English, like, we don't actually teach anything. There's no cr curriculum behind the Common Core. But when you get the English sample sentence, it's Obama was the greatest president, parse that sentence, that kind of thing. So they're right. there for their, yes. for their process, their ability with process. It all comes down to the process. And I was reading how I'm reading this huge book about how Henry Luce and Time magazine and the CIA transformed the Catholic Church and spread Americanism around the world. And they actually made that decision to to make Holly, excuse me, Hollywood the a major export because they not only wanted to propagandize the world, but they wanted to impart Americanism to the world. So they literally yes. took the movies to make the world America oriented. And that is what they talk about in this article. They give some examples. So this, so we watch television and I have a longer point on this in a second. We are at our most checked out. We are disengaged for the most part. So they see that as an opportunity and they want to put into these communication channels, because that's what this is, 
this is how they think about it. They think about it like the show Stranger Things gave rise to people bought more Egos. Top Gun, Ray-Bans were popular around the world because of Top Gun. They talk about how the movie Sideways peaked worldwide interest in Pinot Noir. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, and so that's how <laughs> that's they, that's true. the same way that advertisers think it, about it. Pinot is, Noir was like everybody was, it's not even yeah. so that interesting. They think about it is how can we put these messages into people's heads when they are at their most vulnerable mentally? And that is so this is if you think about television as war, then we are at our least engaged. Our defenses are not there at all. And they are attacking those defenses hardcore. And they say that as tools for social change, these cultural products can create worldwide debate. They can be calls for action for something greater. They can advance representation on screen for overlooked minorities. And they can also stimulate individual reflection and change. And they want these people coming in, being part of the policy creation process. And they also want to give more funding from UNESCO and all these other organizations around the world two cultural products this is a complete takeover and we see it right wow. now on film and television that's very top down like that's blatantly just blatant propaganda like we want top down money so so it's not even like the argument that it's a pull well people want american movies they, everybody wants to drink coke it's like no we're actually getting government money you and money to push yeah this cultural stuff. Yeah, you're watching a movie and you don't even think, you're just watching it. You've been working all day. You just watch it. You're not even thinking about maybe this was created at Davos. People who produced it, wrote it, acted it, perhaps they were there working on how they can influence you in this moment. You don't think about that. Dude, I have so much on that. Hopefully I'll be able to just tighten it up. I've really been trying to tighten it up on the Fink letter, which I'm going to give you in the deepest dive of the day. But to your point about people are their most vulnerable when they're watching TV, did you ever see the patent that Dean tweeted at us for, I guess, the like mind, the mental influence wavelength that comes out of a TV tube? Have you seen that? Is that the one where it hypnotizes you, where it's kind of like you're yeah. watching a, a watch? It's the, it's the craziest thing. And yeah. from what I understand, it is real. Like, it is. And the other, so that's definitely true. And then remember I was telling you about, I was listening to the podcast on Dellingpole, who's, do you know who Dellingpole is? Is that a think tank? No, he's this British. That was a person. He was, yeah, he <laughs> was like a journalist. And then he got totally red-pilled. I don't know if it was COVID or what. And now he has a, a really fantastic podcast. And uh, so maybe he's like a Cheryl Atkinson type in a way. But anyway, so he's awesome. And he had somebody on and he was saying that that they they both knew this one. They, his guest and he mutually knew a like a CIA guy, high level CIA guy who would never, ever, 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 ever speak about his work at all. Never make any illusions. You know what he did, whatever. The only thing he ever said that they that came out of his work, he said they gave he gave them one piece of advice. Don't ever watch television. It's not bad advice. Yeah, but I mean, I think he was saying it more than the obvious, you know, like don't ever watch television. And now I think with my kids, I'm like, well, they don't watch television. They watch their laptop. And like, obviously, they're way more brainwashed from that crap. But the one other thing I would say is they so when you make the industry bigger and bigger and bigger like that, you get a lot of people who are then really behind that industry the way when you make healthcare, or when you like 
JFK's strategy or his people's strategy was to just go into purple counties and if it's defense industry or steel or whatever, and tell them that their industry would benefit from his presidency. And then once it's like Georgia, Georgia is going blue because they built the, they're bringing film and stuff into Georgia and they're attracting the actual industry. And then you get people who are on that. It will defend it because they believe it. It's their ethical glass ceiling. Yeah. And there's a coordination in this also, not just at the top, at the local media levels or the national media levels. There was a headline today, and I didn't read the article. I will. But the headline is something like, I think it was the Wall Street Journal. It was something like, the golden age of nude men in cinema has arrived. And I've been pointing this out. that You can't watch something on the CW or really yeah. any show without there being scenes that yeah. not even pushing the storyline forward just gratuitous oh right yeah totally T- tell me about it that's the story you know because like. <laughs> they never did they never did that with with naked women I, obviously but <laughs> i just cannot stand i mean there rarely is there a sex scene that like is part of the story and then it goes on too long it's like okay like we get it they're gonna have sex that's important to the story but like five minutes into watching them have sex, I'm like, okay, come on. I'm out of popcorn here. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> you know, my nickname was Monica. Don't waste my time with sex. Oh, yeah. You told me that. Before. Yeah. No, you I said it, that. It's funny. Have, it's because backfired it's the way that it was received anyway. Is that what you said? Oh, yeah. Maybe I was telling you that under a different context. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, probably. <laughs> I'm just kidding around. It feels like Friday. Doesn't it, does. it feel like Friday? It does. It's Wednesday, though. It's hump day. Strangely it's enough. hump day. There you go. Perfect. Perfect day to have this conversation. All right. Well, before we get to our deepest dive of the day, we will get to the bottom of Larry Fink's appeal to capitalists. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about what we're going to talk about in the XR. Is someone you know and love actually a taint agent? I'll let you know what I think about that, and I'll tell you what I think what a taint agent is in case you're shocked. (laughs) And uh, Kid Rock's newest song might just be his best yet. It's good. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'd I'd like to hear more about that. So, but before we hear any of that, I would like to truly and genuinely thank... The sponsor of today's show, True Hemp Science, truehempscience.com. I got to tell you, I am a true believer in true hemp science. The I was really hesitant about CBD stuff because I'm just afraid either it's mind-altering, it's only high uh, or hungover or whatever, or it was just a placebo, in which case you're you know, not actually getting anything out of it. And I just, after all this time, I'm totally convinced that it's good for you, good for your mood, good for your um, relaxation. And I mean, honestly, I, after dinner, I put a few drops, just a few drops, and I like the one that tastes good. It's this nano emulsified one. A lot of it tastes like CBD, but this is just 
freaking yum. He puts like turmeric in it and stuff. And I just, instead of having a glass of wine, I have that. And instead of having a crappy sleepless night and feeling not so good in the morning, I have an awesome night's sleep. And in the morning, I feel cheerful. Like I, maybe, maybe it is. I, I, I can't, it's just, it's just been going on for too long. I absolutely I'm into it. So you can learn more about it. We are going to, we've released our hour long conversation with him and Aviva. It's, um, we call it the hemp cast. We've put it in various platforms, but we're going to put it in the main feed this weekend, the free feed. So listen to, if you want to hear more about CBD, but it's not like an infomercial. It's actually was just fun because we like those guys and it was interesting. We learned a lot. So check that out. Truehempscience.com. And call our guy Chris and he'll he'll just he'll walk you through it. He'll I'm sure he'll send you some goodies, a few little freebies if you tell him you're a listener of Propaganda Report because he sponsors us because he loves this show. And as he gets to know you, he'll personalize. So he'll make probably recommendations oh, yeah. for you. Absolutely. Now, he can't like recommend. He doesn't recommend, but he describes and you tell him what you're interested in. And uh some of the stuff's actually yummy, like the gluten-free brownies and cookies and gummies and just there's a lot of fun stuff there. It's really fun. So when I get a package from Chris, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> uh, so I want to tell you, though, also that we have a lot of uh, various offerings. So let me just tell you very quickly the different things that we do and how you can get more of this show. So rockfin.com slash propaganda report. You can get all of our XR stuff, all of the videos that we do, the fantastic deep, deep, fantastic deep dives where Binkley tries to trigger me on purpose, which I don't really love, but I do it. I, I take one for the team. If I don't trigger all- you, I failed. <laughs> Yes, yes, and you rare I don't think you've ever failed. So, and then we get all the awesome stuff from all the other contributors there. Then if you like the RSS feed directly to your podcasting app, that is exclusively at patreon.com slash propaganda report, all the premium stuff on that. But you can also find tiers there to get a deep discount on the patron saint status to go if you're a member of rockfin you get disappearing patron parties zoom parties zoom party expert excerpts all that and then our latest endeavor is really a social thing it's not it's not meant to be a revenue stream but if you want if you want to listen to in the app all our xr stuff it's all there it's propreport.locals.com but mostly that's a social place so if you want to check it out you can join free and look at some of our postings and you can come join us uh, it's actually you can only stream one at a time so this friday is my local live at five live stream and it's five o'clock pacific eight o'clock eastern but you can find that just sign up for it propreport.locals.com and uh maybe you know if any of that appeals to you if all of it appeals to you send me an email at the propaganda report podcast at gmail.com and i can whip you up a little package deal fantastic and now on to our deepest dive of the day I've been promising for a while the deep dive of Larry Fink's letter to CEOs. Larry Fink is the head of BlackRock, so he controls trillions of dollars of investment. And we had cracked the code on this guy a few times and on the evil plot of the World Economic Forum. And this guy is actually on the board of the World Economic Forum. He's in the room when the government decides on financial plans twice already, at least. He has gotten a huge, gigantic, ridiculous 
financial contract from the government without having to bid for it because it was under the guise of an emergency. This guy doesn't get more deep state. Like, I don't know about the continuum between government and big Phil, big philanthropy and Larry Fink, but it's it's just, uh, I mean, I feel like it's a web of power and influence. And I mean, I don't know where it wait, waits, but that's what it is. And he writes a famous letter to CEOs every year saying, if you don't do what I say, you're not, we're not going to buy your stock and then your cost of capital is going to go up. He doesn't say that, but that's how I read it. Then we recently discovered that speechwriters from the government help him write that speech. And we know he's on the board of the World Economic Forum. So... And then, okay, so I want to bring you back to the World Economic Forum, January 2020. January 2020. So a month before COVID was launched here and a couple of months after the World Economic Forum contributed to Event 201, and which was the whole COVID thing. But we didn't see how their role in it at that time. They didn't announce a great reset or anything like that yet. They It was their 50th anniversary. And they... Late, it was clear to me in that show when we talked about it that this was fascism. They they want a public and private kind of continuum where private companies have control basically over the laws. They want to disenfranchise the people and be their their mother and father more or less. But of course, they don't have our best interest at heart anyway. And then they came out after that and said whatever great reset. But this idea of stakeholder capitalism is about taking global corporations and making them basically a government. So they want everyone to work for, buy from, interact with, contract with these global corporations. And then they want the global corporations to set standards and policies that any mom and pop or startup or whatever would never be able to attain. And then they can wipe those guys out. They can control what you buy, how you buy. They can limit the variety of what you get. His letter was so full of, it was, it had a few key points. I had so much on it and I like wrote and rewrote it, but I'll never be able to cut it all down completely. But I'll, so I'll just give you the highlights. But one of the things was, he said, we don't have to we don't want to just, just replace, I'm going to go out of order, but we don't want to just replace fuel we don't want to just decarbonize by replacing the kind of fuel you use. We also want to reduce how much you consume. You know, so it was right out of the third worlding of America, which is happening right now, where they're trying to get us to consume less. They're locking us down in this way. He starts out by talking about stakeholder capitalism. And he says it is the power of capitalism. Capitalism is driven by mutually beneficial relationships between employees, customers, suppliers, communities, and your company. This is the power of capitalism. So he always talks about this stakeholder capitalism as just being another capitalist. But he's doing that for the same reason that every war of aggression is sold as a war of defense because ethically speaking, people who believe in capitalism, they just don't believe in this kind of stuff. And he says, this isn't, this isn't woke stuff. He said, we, we focus on sustainability, not because we're environmentalists, but because we are capitalists and fiduciaries to our clients. It reminds me of what DeSantis said the other day. We're, we're going for the climate change stuff, but we're not doing left wing stuff. So these are ways to kind of get that 
those people, those math people, those investors on board and the CEOs. And so there's also threats in this letter. He says everyone from political activists to stakeholders need to hear that you're on their side politically or they will hijack your brand, abuse you, abandon you. Okay, but here's where my aha moment was. He said, customers want to see and hear what you stand for as they increasingly look to do business with companies that share their values. That's just because they're trying to force that type of culture. Totally agree. Totally agree. And this is where I I was like, oh my gosh, what he leaves out, this is my comment, was what he leaves out is that his other business, the World Economic Forum, where he's on the board, is working hard to shape those values. So I went and I, stop, don't say it, don't don't scoop me. I know you're going to scoop me. I went and I was thinking, what was that thing? It was like the sunrise thing, the sunrise thing. And I'm looking up like World Economic Forum, like sunrise group. It was like kids. And then I got landed on the page of the World Economic Forum's Global Shapers? Yes! <laughs> the Global Shapers! I was like, he's trying to shape this. He's trying to shape the customer's view on the one hand and telling you that their views are going to determine your business. It's called the Global Shapers, and I can just tell you about it. Well, what I was going to say was, this is the same thing that the World Economic Forum was talking about in that earlier story about shaping culture through the cultural products, shaping values. It's, it's all in the same, same narrative, same strategy. Yes, absolutely. Yes, that's what I was thinking. So this is, this is in each city, teams of shapers self-organized to create projects that address the needs of their community. They are wide ranging. They respond to disasters, combat poverty, fight climate change, build inclusive communities. Obviously, this, the script is written. The World Economic Forum is not self-organized. They are organizing it. Shapers are diverse in expertise, education, income, heritage, and identity, but are united by their desire to bring about change. Uh, they, so this is where it's like, obviously this isn't like a grassroots thing. Listen to this, how it's done. Shapers look for opportunities to have impact on a global scale by joining forces with other hubs. They represent a network of peers connected through technology events and joint projects. Each year, hundreds of hub leaders known as this is capitalized, curators come together to showcase the work of their hub and strengthen relationships across communities. This is the stuff Stacey Abrams was doing in all her internships. On the regional level, events are designed and led by shapers to encourage collaboration, share expertise, and explore community solutions. I mean, if you look at what the CFR does, World Economic Forum, if you look at all the stuff that these guys do, that's how they do it. You can see that North American Union document by Weld and Cruz and others Heidi Cruz, that said, we make organizations so that we can have a backdoor to legislators and get them onto uh, the same page for the policies that we want. It's really, really sick. And he is saying that this is just what are you going to do? 
I'm just responding to the desires of the people where at the same time his organization has something called Global Shapers. And he goes into he goes into the youth thing. So the Global Shapers is about the youth. Then he says, you see how turnover has upended your business. This isn't a quote, but it's basically what he was saying is that in the future, employees, especially younger ones, are going to care about your views on race and gender. If you want to keep your employees and not see so much turnover, you're going to have to focus on that stuff. And they don't just want that. They want you to decarbonize. How are you going to how are you going to disrupt your business? And let me tell you, he goes on, if you you can either be you can either be a part of the solution or you can, the way I put it is like you, the last man standing in this fight is going to have riches beyond his wildest dreams and the resistance, the ones who don't get on board will be crushed. This is how I read. I mean, it's a really, really long letter. So I put it in my own words, but he's just, he's just saying like you, it's the carrot and the stick the whole time, the carrot and the stick. And, and he's holding both the carrot and the stick. The stick is the global shapers and the carrot is the big, big money that he has on his, uh, on his side. So let me just read the, the, the final word here. We, we believe there's still much to learn about how a company's relationship with stakeholders impacts long-term value. That's why we're launching a center for stakeholder capitalism. This is BlackRock. This is your retirement money. He opens it by saying our money, these people are retired, people who are planning for retirement. We need to serve their needs. And then he's taking those 10 trillion effing dollars and he's using it to promote the World Economic Forum agenda through the Center for Stakeholder Capitalism. It's, uh, it's creating a forum for research, dialogue, and debate, he says. It'll help us further explore the relationships between companies and their stakeholders and between stakeholder engagement and shareholder values, um, bringing together CEOs, investors, policy experts, and academics to share experiences and deliver their insights. This is fascism. This is fascism. And that's what he's doing. He's basically trying to redefine capitalism. Really, absolutely, and it's the same thing they do with democracy. Where they be like, "No, no, no, that's not communism." Yes. Here's here's how it, it's actually democracy. It's the same it, thing. It reminded me of the crisis of democracy by Brzezinski, where he says, "Get everybody plugged into a global corporation, and they will have no democracy." However, then Fink is is plugging in a type of democracy. What he's saying is, "What we're going to do is we're going to get all the people who invest in our firms, and we're going to figure out in in the in our funds, and we're going to figure out how to get them proxy votes. So then we're going to have a democracy." And here's how it's going to work for you, CEO. We're going to riddle their minds with propaganda. This is in the letter. I mean, it doesn't say it like that. But so what we need is for you to voluntarily report on all your ESG standards. So the ESG standards, every time that comes up, you've pointed it out. But every time it comes up, it's about reporting. It's about reporting. So I'm not sure if it's about reporting because... They want to surveil it, to monitor it, to pressure you to keep track of you, to pressure you to make a public showing of it so that you actually have to do it. Or if it's if it's really about the information gathering in itself, but it's probably both. But that was where he came in with we are going to democratize this process. But we all know that that kind of democratization is weaponizing it by creating by hijacking that power of the mob to pressure these guys who might say seem to want to just do the right thing or he wouldn't be pushing this so hard.
Yeah, that letter might as well be titled How to Be a Fascist While Still Calling Yourself a Capitalist, because that's essentially what he's This giving. is why I, I don't even want to call myself a capitalist anymore, because they've ta- they finally, they I've finally it. given up. I, you yeah. know, I'm an agorist. I don't even want their filthy lucre. I want, I want avocados and eggs. And I also will say that one of Edward Bernays' principal f- principles of propaganda was you create desires so you can then respond to them as though the desires emerged from the public organically. Absolutely. And in this case, he's creating the supply and demand at the same time because he's brainwashing the consumers and then threatening the CEOs. Like he's going to, it's, it's really more like the mob psychology stuff. I mean, I understand that's all part of it, but it was, I mean, I did not want to do this. I did not want to read it because I, I, I mean, you didn't have to do anything to trigger me with this thing. It just fucking pissed me off, especially since I know what these things all mean. Yeah, it's interesting to see how they do those rationalizations and shifting of definition stuff. It's very interesting. I think that wraps it up today. Does it ever? <laughs> I'm Thank done. You, Monica. Right, let's have some fun in the XR. Definitely have some fun. Thank you guys for listening. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform at the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to the extra content that we put out, you can find us at locals.propreport.com. Patreon.com slash Propaganda Report, Rockfin.com slash Propaganda Report. Check us out on those platforms, see what our offerings are. We will talk to you guys next time or in the DMB XR. Have a fantastic rest of your day.